welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Imran Raymond, who is an organisation and performance specialist with an expertise in measuring and developing high performance. But before we get started, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a rating on your podcast app of choice so that others can find us. Thank you. Now let's get into it. Imran, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Yay, thank you for having me. It's been great um, to get the invitation and be part of this um, great journey you're on, David. It's been lovely. Thank you so much. Um, So Imran, it seems to be a trend in forward thinking organisations that traditional hierarchies are being replaced by networks of empowered teams. These teams are more agile, connected by tech, and may only be brought together for a short amount of time. But what is for sure is that we're hearing more about flatter organisational structures and more emphasis on team performance. So to kick us off and to be clear about what we're talking about, what is high performance in the context of teams? It's a really, you know, it's it's a really good question, David. And um, and I'm just going to go back to how I was observed as part of a high performance team. And one of the first definitions I heard when I first went into organizations as a, a young individual after university. And what kept on coming across was this concept of being highly focused on delivering on something. And there was an addition to it, which was sometimes mistaken for our passion as a team, is where we outperform expectations, mm-hmm. that we go the extra mile somehow. Um, and that is where um, I think even today, that's how we look at teams and organizations. Um, and I think that's moved on now. I, I think mm-hmm. that definition has, has moved on because um, there are concepts like team coming on. You also mentioned the type of team, a fusion team, teams that come together for a short period of time and they perform. So they ramp up into maybe the, into this zone of highly focused outperforming. And then Wednesday, once they've delivered say on something, it could be an event, for example, for a large organization, if you're in the event industry, um, they disband and form again to work on the next project or in many sort of incubators or highly matrix incubators where they're building businesses, and um, up to 60, 70, 100, 200 of them at the same time, you could be part of more than one startup team. Mm. So you might have two or three emails and you could be part of two or three teams. But I think then things start changing because then um, there's a movement which is changing. You're not just a set team, you are teaming as part of many teams. So I think at the same time as high performance has evolved as a definition, the definition is continuously growing and moving. And one of the things we've realized um, and what I work on is I've started looking at the quality and intensity of energy of the team as well on top of um, definitions, which are not wrong or right. Um, they're evolving definitions, aren't they? I don't yeah. think we're any form of transformation going on because I think if we say the word transformation, we get the feeling that somebody's doing something wrong or something's not been done correctly. And it's not that. It's just things are evolving and our environment is highly complex today and it requires um, maybe another look at what is high performance team. And uh, what you touch on there is that, uh, that, that we don't just invent terms because we're, we're tired of the old terminology. Uh, on a previous podcast, Andy Lancaster talked about the, 
uh, the three elements that are changing that means that learning and development has to change. He talks about the work, the workforce and the workplace. And of course, each have been uh, have been changed and adapt based on whether it be technological advances, um, there'll, there'll be social adva- um, uh, evolving and, and, and all of these things mean that we can't stay the same. What may have worked and helped us to understand 10, 20, 30, 40, and sometimes our models are, are more than 50 years old, you know, they may, they may not map as, uh, as, as conveniently or helpfully onto what we're trying to achieve in organizations, which, which kind of leads me on to the, the, the next point, because it's one thing to talk about what this is, and we'll go into a greater detail in a moment. But I want to just challenge the misinterpretation of, of high performance a little bit. You did, you did mention uh, in, in your first answer um, that the one element in which we do misinterpret. But I wonder, we've, dis- we've discussed what it is. Perhaps we can just explore what it's not. High performance is also a phrase open to misinterpretation. So in the same context, what is it not? Well, this is a a very strong opinion on this. One of the biggest ones is um, it's not an outcome. Mm -hmm. There is a very, very strong focus on on outcomes that um, a high performance team is defined by its outcomes. Mm -hmm. And it's not. Um, Where does that come from in science? It comes from the concept of outcome bias. Um, And I'll try to give you an idea of what that is very, very quickly. It's, um, you do something in the past and things don't, things turn out okay. And everybody's really happy. And they say, look, we work, we work like an amazing team and we've got this outcome. Um, but the, what nobody looks at is how much luck was involved in that. And, um, very often high performance teams, when they're in a stressful situation will fall to the highest level of training. So what you do with, um, when you just focus on outcome is you don't look at what um, at the performance of the team itself. And that then leads on to a fixation on the quantitative. Did we hit our budget? Did we hit the product we're supposed to get to market? Um, and what it does then is um, it then focuses that outcome on individual reward within the team. Mm. And there we lose the focus on what actually a high performance team is because the measures themselves are targets. Right. And when you look at really high performing teams very closely, you look at, if you just look at, if you, 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 we've done lots of research on thousands of teams, but this put the research we've done to the side and look at the research, which is generally out there, you'll keep finding that when they look at high performing teams, they look at how they speak to each other and how they learn and the mm. speed at which they learn. So very clearly, what it, the fixation on outcome is what high performance it does, is no, no um, how can I say it? it uh, the nice way of saying it, it's no variable on which you can say this was a high performing team. Ah, interesting then. So, so if there's no outcome, is, that, is what you're saying that, um, that if as a learning and development, we are trying to build high performing or high performance teams, we we set ourselves a deadline for which that's going to be done. Yes. Like, is is that the wrong kind of approach? Yes. In what ways? Hurried. Well, um, <laughs> what you're doing there is you. I mean, do you know um, this Gotthard's law that when a measure becomes a target, it's not a measure anymore. And oh no, no, it wasn't a lovely thing um, to read up on. You know, check it out on Wikipedia. Gotthard's law and what it. It's exactly what you explained. When when you're trying to measure something and you don't realize that while you're trying to find a measure, um, and generally a measure in this case might be a proxy to the situation because you can't measure it directly Mm. to what you're trying to measure. 
And what very often happens is that you pick a target and then you start looking at the target and everybody else, the team as well, and the people around the team and all the people that are connected to this team are also focused on that target. And then what happens is targets will, also, will always lead to a type of behavior where people start playing the system because you want to hit the target. You play the system then. Um, and play the system is not now intentional. You don't say, I'm going to get up and play the system, but you want to hit this target. Now, what happens if you then go back and say, well, look, what is a measure? Hmm. What is, what is, what is L&D trying to really measure? And what is a measure first? And a measure, if you just define measure very simply, it's what are we trying to learn here? What will help hmm. the situation or the environment or the people in the team to have the right conversation and improve? Measure will always improve a situation, whether it's on a production line, um, um, the teams on a production line, the teams in, in the HR department, or the teams in the marketing department or a unit. Measure should always help the team find out where do we need to learn more um, and what have we learned so far? Interesting, interesting. Right, um, in a moment, I'm going to ask you what role learning and development can realistically yeah. play in this, but I want to take a step back um, for a moment because we've already touched on this. Be um, I want to talk about the science here. You've already, you've already brought up uh, uh, some some research already and some certainly some stuff that I, I've not been aware of previously. But in my experience, models of team performance seem overly simplistic and unrecognisable to real life. And I'll give you the example of Tuckman um, with team dynamics. Um, so what what role what does modern science tell us now about high performing teams? Now. I mean, models are great. Don't get me wrong. I, 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 I never rubbish um, models which have been created on good scientific method. Mm -hmm. mm, but when they become um, a prescriptive way of trying to get to somewhere, then you're, you, know, you come back to the outcome problem again, don't you? We've mm. um, got to go through these four steps as a team. No, if you take the Tuckman model, and realize um, the speed at which the Tuckman, the Tuckman model works within a team. Every time we have a conversation around a new task in a team between you and me, David, we have to go through the Tuckman process. So it can happen within, the Tuckman model can happen in a conversation over a minute. From mm -hmm. the minute you begin a conversation as two team members talking to each other and trying to get a task done. And then you can look at the team from a macro level and say, the team is going through this phase as it ramps up at, um, towards becoming um, a solid team where the quality of relationships are very, very high, where they've got complete focus, they've got commitment, they know where they're heading, they feel completely safe in the environment, everybody can speak up if necessary. There is sometimes tension in the team to get, because there are different views I've been bringing out, different attitudes that all come together and they collide and they create a third space on which they can move forward. Mm. And that's a lot to comprehend in your head. Um, and what, what, what I find is that no matter what model you look at, no matter what high performance team you look at, there are fundamental things um, that the current environments we put them in, um, people forget. People unintentionally think, oh, we're a team now um, because some hierarchical structure has changed and it's created the team or the unit. And then they forget that they've got to go through some sort of process. There's no reminder for them to say, look, stop, slow down. Let's get this team together. Mm -hmm. If anything, I'm not, I don't know if I'm answering your question here now. I'm just trying, very often what I'm saying is I, there's no right or wrong here. What very mm -hmm. often is the case is people are focusing on the wrong indicators. So for us, the leading indicators to create high performance um, are, say, for example, creating a safe environment, making sure people get this sense of belonging 
And then on, on, on top of that, that they look at the quality intensity of energy that all the structures, processes, the way they talk, uh, the mission they set, the purpose they have, um, create the energy so people replenish the energy on a daily basis and move forward. Mm-hmm. What we're doing currently is we're using lagging indicators. So we take the models and we create lagging indicators out of them. Um, say the tech Tuckman model, um, we ignore the four phases and we look at just the performing part. <laughs> we put more emphasis on when the team is suddenly performing and forget the mm-hmm. first three phases. Um, it's, oh yeah, we're in this phase now. Mm, really, how do you know that? So there's no proper, you know, we, we don't really learn, we learn these in classrooms and we learn these in rooms and we, tr- but very often what I found, the first time I learned the Tuckman model, I wasn't, with, I wasn't with my team. I was on a program as part of other team leaders um, who had different teams and we were talking theoretically about it. We weren't, and then it was like, how do I put this into practice when I get back into yeah. the team? Do you see what I mean? It's putting this I'd into very, practice. Yeah, I had a similar uh, experience myself when, uh, when uh, I was first exposed to, to Tuckman and then it was popped into a, uh, a program that I was expected to deliver. And, and, you know, and, and a lot of the time you're delivering this stuff and it makes perfect sense. I mean, you can have logical arguments all the time. I think one of the, one of the ones is um, uh, courageous conversations. You know, if you say to somebody, courageous conversations, and, and they'll go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that, logically that sounds like it will help me to do my job better. You know, undiagnosed, um, you know, you can fit this into your into your world and off you go. And I think Tuckman's another one of those. You get a load of people in a room together. You you say this is the truth. They they say, oh yeah, I can kind of see that. And then you say to people, where do you think your team are? You go, yeah, I think they're probably here. And then and then off you go. How much use how much use that actually is, or uh, or, or whether whether their reflection is really accurate of uh, of uh, the situation that they face themselves in or whether that was at all useful as an exercise i i i do wonder i've never sat there as a as a manager or a, or a, a leader and wondered i wonder where my team is right yeah, now because it's, true, it? yeah. it's yeah it's you know you're you're in, in real situations and dynamics change on a well it's to say it was on a daily basis would be again an oversimplification because it it changes as um as variables hit individuals and entirety of your team so that's why i said about uh, i i'm um I, i'm suspicious of uh, of oversimplistic models as uh, as as delivered as truths why do we do that i mean we i think we all know why we do this it's because it mm. helps to bring across um something so look this is this is something we're seeing in all teams um across a, a wide spectrum of society within a number of organizations across industry and it helps us to to grow collectively Mm. And um, then it's about taking it and applying it to local context, to your environment, which might change depending on the market you work in, sort of customers you have. So many variables then come together. And I think that is where we're like looking, we're not looking at that hard enough and saying, well, look, um, the individual, and, and what we, uh, it, even to take it a step back, where I, where I have my wonderful conversations with L&D um, as part of HR or whatever part of the organization they belong to. And I've, I've, I've grown wonderful relationships with all the L&D people I've worked with because I found them very human. Mm. Um, but I found, I kept on finding ourselves stuck um, as somebody who's delivering on the business part, talking to L&D and realizing why are you focusing on the individual and why are you over-focusing on me as the leader? I always had this feeling that when I walk out of a room with my, with my teams, it was really, really important to ensure that when I walked out, that everybody felt like a leader in my team. They mm-hmm. felt just like I felt. And I would go in and then say to my L&D, um, um, like sort of 
business partner, business partner and say, look, um, can we drop the catalog with all the individual sort of programs in and just create maybe a, pro, um, a catalog that focuses on creating environments for teams? So mm-hmm. how would the catalog look like if we just had a focus on creating teams? It would also really, really, I would like to know as a team leader, how many teams do we have in our organization? What types of teams do we have? We have no data on this. And I think this mm-hmm. data will give us use cases on understanding who we are as an organization and the type of teams we have. And maybe we could then tailor the programs. We, what I kept on getting were new, pro, like I would see elements in the catalog being improved. Um, but they were being copied from best practice across the industry, which had no relevance to us. Yeah. So it was always people would come up to me and I say, um, well, there isn't a program on, in our catalog for, for me, Imran. I, I wanted, what I wanted as a team lead was yeah. a focus on developing um, programs um, and interventions that I would have access to, to help develop the team, to build me in, in my context and make the knowledge I had become hands-on um, practical behavior, which I could use in the teams, and I wasn't getting that. Mm. And which leads me back to the question that I signposted uh, a little earlier. I'd, I'd like to know what, what role you think that L&D can realistically play in the development of, of high-performing teams, because uh, I've got a suspicion um, that, that it's not going to be done by running one-and-done training programs and providing an e-learning module. I agree completely. I think they have got to... Can I add some more trends to this? Business intelligence trends and business analytic trends. Yeah. So there's a number of other things happening. Um, There's augmented analytics happening within organizations. That means that in the past, very few people had data in their hands. Now everybody's getting data. Everybody will have augmented data. Then then what comes with that is data literacy. That means people will get graphs. They will get data being thrown at them. Everybody will start to understand how these graphs are interpreted and what they mean. The way we visualize um, um, data is also happening. That means data literacy is going to go through the roof amongst all our people. And I think we're all upskilling our people currently in that space. Then what happens is, as we get a more networked environment, you're going to have more and more use cases because people have more and more data at the fringes of the organization. So the use cases were generally, if we take a typical agency model, were created by the, the top 10% because they would win the customer, they would bring in the sales, they would make the money. But now all the use cases are being created by the people at the edge of the organization who are directly in touch with the customers. Mm. Knowing that this is coming at us, what impact does that have on us as the core of the organization that helps us learn and keeps us going and understand this, these are the new tools, these are the new ways, these are the new sort of workshops, these are the new sort of working sessions, these are the integrated way we need to work with our teams on the go and on the run. They learn while they work. If that is what's coming at us, what does that mean for l and That's a fundamental yeah. question I think you have to really get your hands around this l and and it's something which... I, I, I love this why I, I spend as much time as I can with L&D and HR people because I know they are on the search and they're looking. Um, and I know the answers are not in best practice. I know the, um, the answers are not in the industry because the answer is on the other side of the fence and all the experts can't see over the fence. Mm. The answers are everywhere else but in your own industry. So it seems to me uh, as if before we determine what the mechanism is, whether it's a 
uh, as, as we said, it's not going to be a one and done training program, no. uh, perhaps not an e-learning module. But before we even get to what it is, it's, we need to fully understand what it is that we're looking to affect, what's our current state of play, and what are the priorities for those people within those teams and for the organization at large? Am I on the right lines? Yeah, well, that's complex, isn't it? Mm, so now that's what's right. currently happening, um, this is what, what's happening, and this is something, um, I mean, this is some of the work I did with an astrophysicist back um, in, in the Black Forest in Germany. And, and through an afternoon of working with him, something really dawned on me is like, when you're in a complex environment, you cannot ask the question, what and how? Um, mm. uh, how yeah, yeah, what and how? what do we have to do and, and how do we do it? Mm. You have to ask the question, who do I have to speak to? Mm. So Ellen, if there's a question for L&D to answer is who do we need to speak to now? And you cannot read a book on L&D or the latest professor from a university because they won't have the answer. So who else do we need to speak to as L&D? Yeah. Who might give us something in one form and we'll have to adapt it to our form to see um, on the other side of the fence. Okay, I so uh, I don't know if I'm making sense. Maybe I'm being a bit vague here, but I'm just trying to say, like, you know, this is um, as, as somebody who's been a team lead and run organizations and built organizations. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've always like tried to work on is high potential. Uh, like, is is in a space of don't knows, don't knows. What don't you know? Don't you know? Hmm. How Are you able to bring there? that down one level for us? I mean, yeah, we're going to say it was very vague. It's high, it's high level, and I'm sure that uh, the, the, the listener uh, will get that at conceptual level. I wonder if we can bring that down. Yeah, one so I'll give you an number. idea. What I did was, I'll give you a very, very hands-on example. I was looking at um, benchmarking, like how impactful is benchmarking in organizations, and every team I went into, every unit head I spoke to, all of them didn't like it. Mm. All of them said, across the industry, it might be interesting, but it's not nice to know that you're in the bottom quarter of some sort of evaluation or some sort of benchmarking. It doesn't motivate. And um, I'll give you now that in the comparison to how, I, how, how this happens in the community. I come from the Asian community. In the Asian community, what very often happens is your parents say to you, hello, my son, and we love you to bits, but could you be a bit more like the son up the road who's much nicer? Mm. And that's what benchmarking is, isn't it? You get compared to somebody externally, and then based on that, so you're, you know, your parents are telling you, you could be a better son. That hurts. And, and so social comparison breaks. Now, coming back to um, making that really practical and hands-on is I said, where could I go and learn what's the best form of comparison? What is the best form of comparison to actually help humans evolve, individuals evolve, teams evolve, organizations to evolve? And I did not expect to find that answer with the actuaries of the insurance world who work with insurance fraud. And I sat, I met one in Cologne. I flew up to meet him. He's an Australian. He works in um, a HR company, um, in, in an HR department, a very large pharmaceutical company. And he said, Iman, look, I moved to HR because we are doing it wrongly. And he said, look, I've done the maths. I spent over 28 years working with mathematics and helping build algorithms that show us that somebody is committing fraud. And I said, okay, great. Tell me. And he says, what's the mistake? And he says, the mistake is, don't do comparison, social comparison. Don't compare people. Don't do any benchmarking, but do temporal comparison. And I said, what do you mean? He says, look, when you measure an individual and you are trying to find out if they're lying or not, what we do is we keep comparing their statements and what they do to themselves over a period of time. So if they keep lying to themselves, that means they're lying to us as an insurance company. At one time, something will happen and we will realize 
there is an anomaly here and we'll know that something's wrong. If we compare this individual to somebody else, and continuously compare to somebody else, we can never work out whether that person's lying or not. And I said, ah, mm -hmm. so you're saying the best way to get a team to improve is temporal comparisons, is yes. And that's what I mean by, I never expected to meet an insurance actress in HR um, who moved there, moved into the space because he realized um, that HR were, were not delivering for him. And he's on, a, he's on a life journey to change the way we use 360s, the way we use feedback tools, the way we actually look at performance. And it's a completely different industry. Mm. And it's making the world your classroom rather than making, you know, your homogenous environment with multiples of attitudes in them. But we keep seeing the same things. Interesting. Does that make it more hands-on? Has that ever helped there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely given us a, a useful uh, example. While we're talking about measurement, how do, you, how do we go about measuring high performance in teams? Well, the thing is what we're realizing um, and the, the work we're doing is um, we, we know that we've got to do it. There's some basic things I've already mentioned, like um, it's got to be an is-is comparison over mm -hmm. a certain period of time, and it's going to be done more often. Um, in an ideal form, it's got to be adaptive. So it means you can't keep asking the same questions. They've got to adapt as the team evolves. Mm -hmm. So that makes complete sense. What then, it, what then you get to look at are then um, the science behind what's measuring. Mm -hmm. So we know that if you look at neuroscience and if you speak to the best in neuroscience, what is the biggest preoccupation of any human's brain? We know it, it is where do, where do I fit in? So we measure what they call relatedness. It's the feeling of belonging. That could be one thing to look at and say, well, how do we continuously measure the feeling of belonging in this team and how do we evolve it and get the conversations or the right conversations going in the noise because teams are always in an organization. They're always surrounded by multiple things going on, hundreds of conversations, and it's trying to find the signal in the noise or between the people to improve the feeling of belonging. That's one way. Mm -hmm. The other thing you could look at once you get into the science of it is um, how safe do you feel? Are you able to speak up? Are you able to say what you need to say? And if you do say these things, do you feel valued afterwards or have the same mm -hmm. value you had before? Um, and one last thing you could look at, and this is what I really want to focus on because no work has been done in this area, is the quality and intensity of energy this team is creating. Intensity for me is the direction it's creating momentum. It could be done through alignment. It could be done through many things, um, how it connects with other teams and other parts of the organization. And then you have the quality of energy. It's like, and here is a very simple measurement. How depleted do you feel after working with this team? And how replenished do you feel after working with this team? We don't do this. Mm. Um, we might do this over a coffee or if you go for dinner and you go, oh man, that was a hard day, man. I love my team, but they do take it out of me. Um, mm. and, and those are the things I'm looking at. And then what happens, and I find this is where it gets really interesting. How do you capture that? And how do you collect that data in a way where we're not using numbers, where we're not grading continuously? And I find that's the most wonderful space to be in. Why are visual um, triggers a lot better? Because they are just received by the mind. And they don't have to be perceived. So, you know, we all have a language through pictures, which is far more powerful mm. and stronger. And it gets you to the emotional gran granular or granularity of where I currently am. Likert scales don't work. How many times do I sit there and say, I'm not a five, I'm not a six, I'm actually 5.5 today. Well, I'm 5.34. Mm. 
I can feel it. I know exactly where I am. And I can't do anything like it at scale. And then what happens is um, when you start putting all these elements together I've just mentioned, you start creating a picture that people can just say, I relate to that. Let's start talking. And one of the biggest problems I had with my teams was when I used to get these surveys or I used to get a, an external to come in and use a great diagnostic. If you looked at the conversation, 60% of the time was spent on what does this diagnostic try to tell us? We had to learn the diagnostic over two days, then we could use it. And mm -hmm. I'm saying, why can't we create a diagnostic that goes with the flow, that works with us, that knows us, understands us? I don't need 100% validity and academic reliability. What I need is a tool that works with us. It should fit into our lives as a, as, as a team. Currently what I do, or what I, I, I find a lot of the tools do, is I need to learn the tool and I need to make it fit into us so we can use it. They're not simple. None of them are. I have not found one. And if there is somebody out there, hey, they should send you a link and send it to me because I have not found one. That's why I decided to build it myself. Yeah. And, and so um, and with that, what, what are we saying? That, that you will have uh, real-time data that, L&D acts on, real-time data that the, the, the line manager acts on, real-time data that the team acts on, and what do they do? That's the most amazing part. So this is it. It's self-service and self-directive, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So the team's got to be able to self-service that data. So that's really, really important. I get something. Mm -hmm. It could be a very simple question, um, like, can, I, um, can you be who you want to be in this team? Mm -hmm. um, and you could be working on that. And if you get seven people in a team and who have answered that question and a collective visualization of where that team is, you could have a really good conversation around belonging saying, mm. well, we don't seem to be creating the belonging. We, have, we, we, we seem to hit off mark. We, we seem to be isolating each other. And that could be maybe the only um, thing you need to work on. Um, mm. Then the next level up, nobody needs to know. The, the team itself needs to deal with its individuals and its environment. But the next level up, if there is, um, say, a production head who's got then eight teams, um, for him or her, the most fundamental question is, where do I put my resources? Where do I put my effort? Do I run to all eight teams every week? Or can I actually spend a week with just two teams who really, really need me? Mm -hmm. You're going to up then the quality of, of, of intervention of people who maybe you are in more positions of more responsibility or see more or have to take care of more um, because of the way the organization is structured. And they can actually get better wisdom out of the organization and say, well, look, this is where I direct my resources. Currently, there is no tool that does that. And then mm. if the tool all happens in real time and continuously, mm. and you start creating a tool that, that, that is amazing, that's a tool mm. where the higher you go, um, they just know, well, look, currently we're looking at the, the production plant in the UK. Um, we need to actually spend um, some time there. So look, it seems like the, you know, the other three production plants we have around the world are doing well. Let's go to the UK for a couple of weeks and give mm -hmm. them some focus there. They seem to be struggling with, with the, new, the new product we're bringing to market in the next two years. And with, I mean, this, this approach here, um, it's, it, is, it does differentiate itself from, from the usual. As I said, it's, um, uh, it's focusing on elements of team characteristics that may not be valued immediately by organizations, perhaps more hard-nosed organizations that are much more used to focusing on results, team results. So what kind of resistance um, may be faced within an organization when seeking to develop high performance in this way, or at least measure and then uh, develop high performance in this way? Well, um, we've had, um, how can I say, there are, there are a few that, that, that 
um, come up. I mean, depending on what part of the world um, you work in. Um, one could be this whole idea of um, like employee experience um, is not so important. So there is a belief that there should be a certain employee experience we deliver and we shouldn't go beyond that. Um, how much can we really care for? So there's the whole idea, you know, if you work in organizations that really feel that, you know, the employee experience is directly correlated to the customer experience, then you have an easier time. Mm-hmm. There are other leaders who are delivering on, um, on multiple KPIs and to prioritize a tool um, that will stop their agenda is not going to help either. So the mm-hmm. tool will then, um, you know, if you've got a tool like that, what they do then is they, 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 they bring up all these, well, look, this is not currently serving what I need to do now for the next mm-hmm. year or two. So um, I don't know where to put you. Um, the other type of resistance you get is um, we have no experience of giving, say an organization is um, 500 people strong. What happens when you give 500 people all the same data? So if you look at typical engagement survey data, um, say there's 60, 70% you answer the survey, all that data disappears to um, a group of a few. And they talk about that data and it gets filtered all the way back down. What happens if that data is delivered in a delightful way? It's delivered in a beautiful way and it's delivered to everybody in real time at the same time. We have no experience of that. Mm. Um, And that um, doesn't scare people, but it gets people like, do you have any, why do I have to be the first one to jump? (laughs) Mm. Um, Then it's about, well, looking, look, are you willing to try something new? Are you willing, um, if you are going through a transformation, wouldn't it be nice to know um, that you are on track? Wouldn't it be nice to know where your people are before? during and after. Um, mm. And then it gets easier because they go, oh, wow, we could use it for that. I said, yeah, we currently don't have any tool um, which helps post-merger integrations, which, you know, where I was very often a part of. And I was sitting there going, okay, um, we're really good at the beginning. Um, while it's happening, we seem, to, we seem to disappear as a leadership team. <laughs> Nobody sees us. Um, and, but, but, but then suddenly we're there again when we then decide who's going to get what job. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's a lot of crying. Um, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of people saying, why did you pick him or her? Why did you pick her or him? Um, and then as we get the company on board and, um, and once it's done after the first year or two, um, we start realizing, oh, um, we still have actually a difference between two different types of, or three different types of cultures. And mm-hmm. one part of it is still is the company we bought two years ago. Do you see what I mean? And there's no ongoing yeah. learning going on to say, well, who are we now? Once we've, you know, we've integrated the whole organization, what, who have we become? There's no mm-hmm. ongoing dialogue. And at the end of the day, you know, you, you bought a company, you've integrated four and a half thousand people. We are different. Mm. We have become somebody else. And let's keep having that discussion because it's really, really important. And, and people, um, how could I say this? Um, this is, what got me onto this? I, I, people, our brains are predictive. Uh, this whole idea that we have a stimulus and then respond is wrong. Mm-hmm. We know today the science is that you will sit there and know something's going on. You'll have a feeling that something bad might happen or something good might happen, but the likelihood is going to be something bad. And that's the part I want to measure. Where are you currently? Where is your emotional state? And that emotional state is really, really, really helpful to help us as leaders or us as the unit or the department to make decisions for the, for the organization and for the business and for our customers.
Great. And and Imran, as we as we look to to wrap up the uh, the conversation here, if the listener likes what they've heard and would like to start doing more to develop, um, first of all, perhaps measure and then move forward um, and act off of, uh, of of what they find out with regard to high performing teams. Where should they start? I think one of the the things um, I always start with is find out, for example, how many teams you've actually got. Mm. <laughs> I, I think that is, and what types of teams you have. And then look at also then the environments. Um, I think if you, one of the best places to, to start is if you've like um, hit off a transformation process and you know that you've got to move people and involve teams and departments and everybody, that's a place where you can start just doing a different type of evaluation rather than actually measuring levels of competence and what type of leaders and who do we need and um, find out where are your teams, um, what teams you have, um, what environments they require. Um, to, 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 um, to, to head where you're heading and then start working on, well, look, what do we need for these environments? What makes these environments, um, you know, what is required to make these environments be the environments they need to be so our teams can deliver and, and just do what they need to do without hindrance, without losing energy, without using this feeling of, I don't belong to this um, transformation. This is just for, for, for the top leaders who think they understand what we need. Um, that's where you begin. It's really getting down, you know, if anything, I was to say in a sentence, how do you help the organization to work bottom up? If mm. to, that's where I would begin. Yeah. Start from a place of knowing rather than yeah. broad assumptions uh, yeah, based we'll get, on, on, on observations and, and, uh, and yeah, limited, limited real data. Well, yeah. I, I can give you an idea. I worked for one organization where I walked onto the production lines and in an hour I came back with a sentence um, what transformation would you like to have? And they said, well, a transformation where we, as one of the best production lines in the world, can start breathing again. And mm. then leaders started laughing when they looked at me. So oh, oh, I, I, would, I just spent two, three hours on the production line um, with a couple of your colleagues. And this is my, you know, this is what I felt. Mm. And they started laughing and they put down a big, thick report from one of the best sort of consultancies send in some top organizational um, psychologists and the one liner they come up with was exactly the same mm. and they paid 65,000 euros for that report. Well, do you see yeah. <laughs> what I'm trying to get at here? And I'm saying yeah. there is way, 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 we're just too, we're, we're, what we're currently using as tools are just far too slow and mm. we've got the technology, we've got the people, we've got the knowledge, we've got the science. It's now creating a tool that works in real time, helps us learn on the go, and really um, provides us information, not 100% accurate, but a mm -hmm. sense of where we're heading is the right way. And then people start making decisions. It's a byproduct. Then the performance is a byproduct. It just happens. Mm. People feel they're in the zone. They have no sense of time. They keep moving and they feel energized. Mm. And simple measurement, you know, if people are coming in happy and leaving happy, and happy then obviously is in relation to what happy means for the context of that business. Mm. Great. And Imran, uh, if people want to connect with you or follow your work, how can they do so? Well, the thing is, there's a number of ways. You can go to bkokoro.com um, and connect through our info at bkokoro.com um, site. You could also um, go to LinkedIn, um, put in hashtag Kokoro GmbH because we're a, a German company. Mm -hmm. and um and then through you david <laughs> drop you an email yep. say hey who was this guy imran can you give me his email and please do pass on my email and they can connect and ask me any more questions 
Imran, thank you very much. Thank you as well. And thank you for having me, David. I love it when I learn so much from these conversations. And this was one great example of that. It acknowledged the complexities of people dynamics and approaches that aren't overly simplistic or interventions that are separate from real life. Wonderful conversation. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.